Good morning. Turning your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We all recognize that there's a need for us to pass knowledge down to the next generation. In a lot of instances, it may be something like a family recipe or a family tradition or some knowledge or technical skill or some job skill. We pass down experiences that we had to the next generation. We see grandfathers teaching their grandsons how to plant a garden and water it and take care of it. We see grandmothers sitting down with their granddaughters, teaching them how to sew and maybe how to make a dress. We see fathers teaching their sons how to play baseball, how to play football, in appreciation for hard work. We see mothers baking cookies with their daughters and preparing family meals. We need to pass these traditions and these generations down because if we don't, they'll unlikely be forgotten someday. I had an uncle who took a great deal of time with me, teaching me a lot of important facts about life. He taught me the importance of hard work. He taught me the importance of taking care of your family. And he taught me little technical skills which have been invaluable to me as I owned a home and stuff. As a matter of fact, my wife sometimes will say to me, How'd you learn how to do that? And I'll tell her, shh, I want everyone to think I'm just a dumb accountant that can't do anything. (laughs) I don't want people to know I know how to do these things. But my uncle took a great deal of time in showing me how to do these things, and they've been invaluable to me. Well, in this passage we're going to look at this morning, the Apostle Paul encourages Timothy and us of our need to pass along something far more valuable to the next generation, and that's the truth of God's word. We already, as we look around society today, we see what the effects of our failure to do this has caused. And just the morality of people in the world today and the morality of government and the morality of a lot that we see taking place and the laws that are developed in this country. So we're in 2 Timothy, and we want to pick it up in verse number 1 of chapter 2, where Paul instructs Timothy, he says, You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul encourages Timothy with a direct application for him to focus on a gospel-centered endurance based upon reliance upon God's grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. As Pastor Bill mentioned last week, Timothy's discouraged, and this is beginning to affect his ministry. And as we all develop ministries in our lives, there are times when we can be discouraged and we get discouraged. He started this thought, turn with me, or just glance over the page in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where the Bible says, where, Timothy, where Paul says to Timothy, through the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So Paul encourages Timothy. Paul is in prison. He's awaiting execution. And Timothy sees this all going on, and it's beginning to affect him. It's beginning to discourage him. Maybe a little anxiety is starting to set in. Maybe a little bit of fear is starting to set in in his life. Maybe a little doubt is starting to set in as he sees these things taking place. So Paul gives him an encouragement. Timothy, don't rely on your own strength in any of this because when we rely on our own strength, what happens? It tends to cause us to fail. 
because we're relying upon something that we can do. When I was preparing for this, the last couple of days, my wife will tell you, nothing can prepare you for ministry but the grace of God. Because when we get involved in these things, we try to do it under our own strength, we're going to fail because we need that strength behind us that Jesus promised. And that's what he's calling for in this particular, in this particular passage. So as we go through this study this morning, and I want to thank my son Jacob for putting this PowerPoint together for me. The truth is I am just a dumb accountant. And we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Keep this in mind as you go through this study with me this morning. The Bible tells us, and it's a key verse for all of our lives, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. To be strengthened is to be empowered by God's grace. And we know very specifically that God's grace is what saved us. Notice what it says and on the screen in the back again in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The Bible tells us, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, Paul tells us this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Our salvation is a total work of God. It's a, it's a gift. It's grace. It's the gift of grace. We, have, we believe, and God imparts his grace upon us, and the Holy Spirit, as we read the scriptures, convicts us of our sin, shows us of the judgment to come, and we become saved totally by the grace of God. Now, the Apostle Paul, as we know, knows a lot about God's grace from the trials and tribulations that he went through. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, please. And we're picking it up in verse number 7. Now, Paul was called up into the second heaven, and he was taught directly by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, and he brings out in verse 7 this, this uh, concept of being relying upon God's grace. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, he, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is a classic example of the effect of God's grace upon our lives. We're going to go through difficult times. We're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulations. We're going to have difficulties in ministry. We're going to go through them. It's, it's a known fact. These things are going to happen. But... When we rely upon God's strength and not our own, that's how we are able to persevere and get through these difficult times and get through these things. When we rely on anything else, we're sure to fail. We need to rely upon God's grace. Again, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, back in um, 2 Timothy in chapter 2, Paul issues a charge to Timothy beginning in verse number 2, in which he says, In what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... And trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what he's basically telling us here is this, that we are to entrust the faithful men the word of God. That's what's where to entrust to them. Paul realized that it was God's strength in ministry 
that enabled him to fulfill his ministry. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, where he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he realized the importance of this in his own life as he was fulfilling his ministry. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. So Timothy saw that we are not only saved by God's grace, we are also enabled by it. It allows us to fulfill our ministries. It allows us to do the things that God calls us to do. Because remember what he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. His grace is always there that's available to us. It's when we try to do these things in our own strength, and we're going to look at that a little further a little later, when we try to do these things that we end up having difficulties and trials because we're relying on our own strength. And we know what our own strength is all about. I mean, we crumble sometimes at the littlest things that take place. Just watch what will happen at work tomorrow if the Patriots lose today. How people are just going to fall apart over a little thing like that. It's going to cause people to fall apart. It's a fail. So what he tells us, it's very, very important for us to do, is to take the word of God, which is able to keep us and sustain us, and pass this on to the next generation. Pass it on to other people who will be able to teach God's word to others also. It takes strength. It takes time. It takes endurance to proclaim God's word. And this strength can only come as we see, and we're going to keep bringing this point up, by God's grace, because the word, the world itself is opposed to the word of God. We don't see that any more clearly than we see today in today's generation when we, when we talk about scripture. Everything is tolerated in the world today, but God's word. When you try to speak it in the workplace, when you try to tell others about it, they seem to shy away from it. It convicts them. It has its effect. But we are called to proclaim each and every one of us are called in our own lives and in our own ministries to proclaim the word of God. It's a requirement for us. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, tells us this very, very clearly, in which the Bible tells us, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this part. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We all have the ability to proclaim God's word. It may not be in a formal setting teaching up and, and preaching a message. It may not be doing a Sunday school lesson. It may not be having a small Bible study in your house. But we all have that ability because we've been saved. We've looked at the word. We, we, we know what the word says. We know the importance of the word in our lives. It's good news, and we shouldn't keep this good news to ourselves. We need to proclaim it. So it may be just one-on-one -on -one with a neighbor. It may be you'll be asked to pray before a family meal in which you're able to give the gospel. When I'm with unsafe family members and I, and I pray before a meal, what I always do is I give the word of God out. I give the gospel out so they can hear it and they can understand it and they can realize how important it is to me that I'm a sinner and that Christ died for me. We all have that ability to proclaim God's word. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, another classic example of that. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. You know something? I think we need to be ready to make a defense and proclaim the word of God even if they don't ask us. I think we need to be always ready to look for opportunities 
little things that happen that we can, we can, you know, we can give the word of God out. Little opportunities in our lives that we can see I need to, you know, to deliver the scriptures to others. It's our responsibility, each and every one of us, to study God's word and to pass the good news of the gospel on to the next generation. This is the way God propagates the word from one generation to the next, by us learning about it and passing it down. And the Bible tells us something very important about this. Every generation is going to get a little worse and a little worse and a little worse because of society around them. It's the society and the pressures of society. I am so glad I'm not a teenager today. I'm so glad I'm not growing up in this world that we see around us today because it's so difficult. We don't see any sense of morality in parents anymore, never mind in children. There's no responsibility to take your child to church, to teach him about God, to teach him just basic morality and hard work, respecting their parents, respecting their grandparents. Seriously, how many children do we really see that take the time to visit their elderly grandparents? They're just busy. The pressures of life have come in. And we need to continue to remind these people, and that's how we do it, through the, through the spreading of God's word, the importance of, of, of taking care of people, the importance of, of, of being a, a moral person, but all by the grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing we can do on our own. Ministry requires this grace. The ability to teach, study, understand God's word can only be accomplished through prayer, through hard work and study. It's a diligent task, and we need to rely upon God's grace. Now, Paul, in this passage, beginning in verse 3 through verse number 6, uses three examples to illustrate five characteristics of what it takes to be an effective minister of God's word. And as we go through these, we're going to see that these are really some very, very rigorous tasks. And again, remember, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As we go through and see these, we're going to realize these are very, very difficult to do in my own strength, to keep all this under control with everything going on today. But we need, remember, we need to rely upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ by his strength in order to accomplish these tasks. The first example he uses is that of a soldier. Now, these three examples that he uses are three examples of people that the people in this day and age would have been very, very familiar with. And we're familiar with a lot of this stuff today. We'll try to make some relevant application to what's going on today with these three examples. But we're very familiar with what goes on with a lot of these examples today. So they they have great meaning to us. Beginning in verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So we see that an effective minister of the word must endure hardship. That share in suffering is to endure hardship, and to endure affliction. And faithfulness to God's truth will inevitably result in us going through some sort of hardship with someone else, some sort of affliction with someone else. It's something that's inevitably going to happen. In this case, the Apostle Paul is speaking of himself. Timothy, if we look back at chapter two, uh, 1 and verse number 8, we see that, um, that, that, that Paul told Timothy, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, he relates this to Roman soldiers, and Roman soldiers suffered a lot of hardship. Nero was the emperor during this period of time, and he was a real nasty guy. But they had to have loyalty and allegiance to him. 
Because what happens when you go into a war? Inevitably, there's going to be some sort of warfare. Inevitably, there's going to be some sort of physical battle and conflict. And that's where their hardship is going to come into. The Christian life can be a battle with conflict also as we face a world that does not want to hear the word of God. Sometimes, you know, we have to stand up for things that are very, very difficult to stand up for, not only in our workplace, but sometimes in our own homes. And that can cause conflicts. When we encourage our children to do the right thing, when we encourage our grandchildren to do the right thing, when we encourage a family member to do the right thing, and we try to give them the word of God, what can happen? They kind of shy away from us. We, my wife and I went through a period of time where my whole family shied away from us. Fortunately, that's changed now when we're getting back to you know, a situation where we, we spend time with them. Uh, I have a cousin, he calls me every night, all of a sudden, at 8 o'clock every night, particularly during the baseball season. He'll call me every night, and we'll talk for maybe 5, 10 minutes on the phone. It's funny, because that's what my uncle used to do. And it was very, very funny about, about, the, about this guy, because my uncle, every time it snowed, would call me at work and say, David, go home. You better go home. Uncle, it just started to snow. No, no, no. It's going to get bad. Go home. Now when it snows, my cousin calls me. Don't shovel snow. you got Jacob. Make sure you're home. They do the same thing. So we see in, in, in people's lives these patterns that develop. But we can have conflict with family members as a result of this. Conflicts take place. This passage tells us, as such, a good soldier of Jesus Christ should expect to suffer some sort of hardship in ministry. The Lord Jesus Christ said this in John chapter 16 and verse 33 when he said, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Ministry results in spiritual endurance by God's grace. Let's look at the Gospel of John in chapter 15. A familiar passage to all of us. We want to pick it up in verse number 18. The Bible tells us, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Again, conflict in the world through because we proclaim the word of God. But remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me... They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Why will they do that? Because the world hates us. Because what are we doing? We're giving out the word of God. We're giving the word of God to them. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Now in verse 22 is the key to this whole situation, this whole tribulation. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. The Lord Jesus Christ says in verse 22, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of their sin. Now let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter, back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and let's look at verses 1 through 5 and relate this to Paul's charge to Timothy to endure hardship and that he would, he would endure hardship. I charge you in the presence of God and of 
Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Timothy, teach the word. When it's popular, when it's unpopular. When they want to hear it, when they don't want to hear it. When they don't hear you, when they're listening to you. Preach the word. Keep giving it out. Don't stop. And there's a reason for this. And this is what we see taking place in the world today. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know, sound teaching involves giving the gospel. And when we give the gospel, we point to each and every one of us as a sinner. Try telling an unsaved person that they're a sinner without hope headed for hell and see the reception you'll get in a lot of instances. Sometimes it takes, unfortunately, a tragedy in their life, something happening that shakes them up, and they come to you and they ask you, you know, to pray for them, and then they're a little more vulnerable and they understand these sorts of things. But the world does not want to hear that they're a sinner. A lot of churches don't preach the gospel the right way by declaring all men guilty of sin before God and the only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. When you listen to messages on television or on the radio, how many messages are devoted to the sinfulness of mankind these days? We don't hear it as much as we once did. In this church, we always proclaim the gospel. And part of that gospel is our realization that there's nothing good within any of us and that only good comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Try doing that to these people. So he gives Timothy this encouragement to preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching because the time is going to come when people are going to shut all this off and want to hear only good things. And we see a lot of of churches and a lot of situations becoming this. All they talk about is the blessings and the good things in life. And these are all important for us to hear because they encourage us. But we need the gospel. We need to completely... We're reading a book now that tells us to preach the gospel to ourselves each day. We need to continually hear the gospel in order for us to realize what our standing really is and our need for God's grace in every single thing that we do. We need to do that. And he tells Timothy at the end of this passage in chapter 4 and verse 5, he tells him, As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You're going to endure hardship, you're going to have suffering, but you've got to persevere, and you've got to go on, Timothy. You've got to, you've got to persevere in your ministry. Now, as we turn back to chapter uh, 2 of um, 2 Timothy, let's look at verse number 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So we saw that an effective minister of the word endures hardship, and an effective minister of the word must be committed. Now, No soldier gets involved in civilian pursuits. And that should be something that's obvious to all of us. Because if he did, if he was worried about his family at home, his wife, his children, his finances, his business that he might have left behind, his car, the things that he had accumulated, if he started worrying about these things, he would not only put himself, but his entire platoon in very serious danger. There would be a lot of very serious danger he put them in because his mind would not be focused on the task at hand. Just in our own lives, Have you ever tried to do something that you're not completely focused on? 
what it looks like after. You know, you, you don't believe that you did this. You know, sometimes I'll, I, when I do a tax return, I always put it away and look at it later. And sometimes I say, how can I miss this? How can I miss? I wasn't completely focused on the task. Something might have been distracting me. So we all have that ability for our minds to be distracted away from the task at hand. And a soldier needs to be totally committed to trust and obedience of his commanding officer and of his duties. A soldier's single-minded purpose involves commitment. He's got to give his full attention. Why? Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That's his aim, is to please the one who enlisted him. In this case, his commanding officer. As a good soldier for Jesus Christ, what we need to do is we need to exhibit that same type of loyalty and that same type of self-denying loyalty and commitment to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who first proved his loyalty to the Father and to us by dying on the cross in our place. He first proved that. We have a commanding officer, unlike a Roman commanding officer. We have a commanding officer who has already secured for us the victory. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verses 56 through 58. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, this is where the commitment comes in and where and the type of commitment that Paul was calling for comes in. Therefore, my beloved brothers, he's speaking to believers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. How we can, can we commit this type of loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ? We commit this loyalty to him when we give other people his word. He says in the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, keep my word, give my word out to others. That's how we show that loyalty. We need it to be committed in our lives, regardless of what's going on, when it's popular, not popular, when, we, when it's time to do it, when it's not time to do it, when we're tired, when we're, we, 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 just, we just don't feel like doing it sometimes. We, we, we might have a little apprehension about doing it. These times we need to persevere and persist and continue to give the word of God out. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the next illustration that the Apostle Paul uses in verse number 5 is that of an athlete. He says in verse number 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So an effector minister of the word does what? He endures hardships. He is committed and an effective minister of the word must also be disciplined. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, according to the rules is he competes lawfully. It does not mean whether the athlete is qualified to compete, but among those who are competing in the event, who's the one that's going to win? The one who competes according to the rules. And this is very, very appropriate for, you know, what we see in a lot of things in our own day and age. And we're going to look at some classic examples in a moment. But only those people who discipline themselves, those athletes who discipline themselves to obey the rules and train properly are going to win the crown. Now, in these events, in these Roman events, judges of the Olympic Games made absolutely sure that all the participants uh, performed and, and, and followed all the rules. They made sure that they did this. It was very, very important for them to do that, like an umpire or, 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 a, um, 
or a football referee or a hockey referee. They make sure that the game is going on properly, that no one is cheating, holding someone's stick, spearing someone when they're not looking, you know, maybe throwing at a batter. They make sure that these things are not taking place. The umpire, the referee, keeps track of it. So the first thing is you've got to obey the rules if you're going to win because what happens? You'll get thrown out. If you don't obey the rules, you'll get thrown out. And these athletes themselves had to do something which was very important. They had to testify that they had 10 months of preparatory training before they competed in the event. And this training was very, very diligent and difficult. It involved diet. None of us like that. It involved exercise. Who wants to go to the gym? It involves practice. Try to get your son to practice the piano, you know, Nobody wants to get involved in any of these types of things, but this is what the training that is called for in God's word. We've got to be properly trained, and we've got, to, we've got to obey the rules. We've got to, through God's grace, keep the rules in mind that we're to persevere in the faith. If an athlete were found to be defective, he was disqualified from competing. We see that today very clearly with steroids. They do steroid testing, performance-enhancing drugs. If someone's found with that, they're suspended. They can't participate in, the, in it anymore. And if an athlete wins and later he's found defective, what happens? He's disqualified. He loses the crown. Who remembers Jim Thorpe, a very famous Olympian who, was an, who won a lot of gold medals in a period of time where you could not be a professional if you won a gold medal? Well, he, had some, he received some professional money or something like that, and his medals were taken away from him. We see some great athletes today who have tremendous statistics in baseball. Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. These guys were found guilty of performance-enhancing drugs. They were taking them. So what happens? They're probably not for a while going to get in the Hall of Fame. So we see that in order to train properly, Paul encourages Timothy this. Timothy, run the race. Do your ministry with the single-minded purpose of winning the crown and not being disqualified. And what that's going to mean in a lot of instances is this. You've got to stand firm in the word of God, regardless of what people think, regardless of what people say, regardless of what the world is going to, is going to do to you. Paul went to prison for this and was awaiting his execution at this time. But he stood firm in the word. That's the example he wants him to use. We can only receive the crown of righteousness if we rely on God's grace in our service. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, a very familiar passage to all of us. Picking it up in verse number 10. According to the grace of God given to me. So right away, he's going back to this need for God's grace in all of ministry. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. So what he's saying here is you need to rely upon grace in your ministry. Anything else 
is not going to receive reward. When you do it for your own purpose and under your own strength and under your own power, there's going to be no reward there. There's not going to be any reward for that. And he gives him the hint that you need to build upon the sure foundation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in verse number 14, that that's the foundation we need to build upon. And anything we build upon that foundation, our service built upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, for his purpose, for his glory, that's what we're going to receive reward for. Everything else at the Bema Seat Judgment, we're not going to receive reward, uh, reward for. So as effective ministers of the word, we need to obey the rules and be properly equipped. Diligent training. Training in the scriptures is, requires diligent training, and this requires God's grace and strength. Notice what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verses 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight. Again, he's relating it back to this this illustration of an athlete. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. How did Paul do that? He did that by the grace of Jesus Christ. He did it in his strength, not Paul's strength. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, again, He's the judge. He's, he's, he's the judge. He's the one that, ma- that sets the rules, that makes sure we're competing to the rules. But remember one thing. He's also the one who will give us the grace and the ability to keep the rules. How many people do that? How many people tell you to do something and then tell you how to do it and do it for you if you're submissive to it? We've all had to, things done at work, and people have said to us, do this or, or try to get this done, and we've struggled to get it done. But Jesus, if we're following him, and we're doing the right thing, and we're, 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 we're obedient to him, and we're submissive to his will, is not only going to ask us to do it, but he's going to do it for us if we're just submissive to him in his, in his, um, in his, righteous, in his righteousness. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. This is something that is available to each and every believer who submits to the will of God. Let's turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We saw the illustration of a soldier and an athlete, and now he turns to a farmer. In this day and age, in this society, farming, and particularly up here in the Northeast, farming isn't very familiar to all of us, so a lot of these, this type of illustration doesn't have the effect that it might have had at that particular time when there were a lot of farmers around and for looking for their own food. And it was interesting because a lot of these farmers were like hired slaves or servants. There was an absentee landowner, and the absentee landowner had someone take care of his farm or take care of his crops, and then that farmer would come back and, 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 get, and, get, and get his share of the crops at that time. So he says in verse number 6 of uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So an effective minister of the word will endure hardships, be committed, be disciplined, and an effective minister of the word also must be a hard worker. A hard worker as opposed to a lazy or, better word, idle worker. The Bible condemns laziness. And you know something? Particularly laziness when it comes to understanding God's truth. There's no excuse for, for not setting the right time aside every day to spend a little time reading your Bible, studying God's word. And what this calls for, this hard work calls for this. If we just take a cursory look at it, we open it up, and we read it, it's good that we've done that, but that's not what God is calling us to do. God wants us to study his word. 
We need to take time to look at it and soak it in and meditate on it and prayerfully look at it to try to understand it for ourselves. We need to sometimes look at a concordance to look up a word to see what it means. Or we sometimes might need to look at a commentary to try to get our minds going in the right direction. Comparing scripture with scripture. That's what the hard work that's called for in the Bible. That's what he's calling for Timothy to do here. To be a hard worker, to be someone who not only looks at God's word as a cursory look, but takes the time to read it and study it. If you're not going to teach other people with a cursory reading through the Bible, you're going to really have to dig in yourself and get into it and study it so that you know what it means and you can answer their questions properly. That's how we pass the knowledge on. Anybody can open it and read it, but to read it and study it requires hard work. It requires diligence. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Do your best. That's your hard work. That's your best. God deserves the best. To present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth, what does it require? Diligent, hard work, and study. We saw in this passage that hard work had its rewards. Success is achieved through single-mindedness, discipline, and hard work. The soldier got approval from his commanding officer. The athlete who worked hard won the crown. And the farmer who works hard gets the first share of the crops. Hard work seems to be something which is forgotten in today's society. People just don't work as hard as they once did. Leisure time, time in front of the television, these video games that they all play all day long. I mean, people at work, adults, probably some of us do it too. I, 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 don't, I don't do that. Adults at work on their lunch hour play video games. They got their little thing in there. What are you doing? It's my lunch hour. I'm, you know. When I, was, when I started out, I worked through my lunch hour. I took my sandwich, I ate at my desk because I didn't have time to do my job in eight hours. And try to be at the, in front of the door at five o'clock at night. I mean, you're going to get run over. People are just, you know, out the door. You walk around about quarter, quarter or five, and what do you see? They're putting the work away, and they're getting ready to go home, and, you know, they're shutting down the card game that they played all afternoon <laughs> instead of doing their job. You know, they're, they're, uh, people don't seem to want to work hard anymore. They want the reward before the hard work. Well, the hard work is very, very important when it comes to studying God's word. If you want to be enriched by it, You've got to work hard. And that brings us to our final point here. An effective minister of the word must be an example. He must set the proper tone and the proper example. Notice what it says. The hardworking farmer, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. What Paul's telling Timothy here is that he has the first rights to his labor in the gospel. Those who proclaim the gospel should live the gospel. We should be an example. The church at Thessalonica was a classic example to the surrounding nations of what it meant to be an example of, 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 of a redeemed race, a redeemed people by God. It says in verse number 7 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Archaea, we're called to be a living epistle. You know, your life 
is probably the first thing an unbeliever is going to notice about you. The first thing he's going to notice about you is how you conduct yourself, what your life is like. We're called to be a living epistle. We need to be an example. If we want to proclaim God's word, we've got to live God's word. We can't be giving out the word of God and living like the rest of the world. We can't be doing that. We've got to be an example to those around us because they need to look at us and say, hey, how come he didn't crack when his mother got cancer? Wait a minute. He just lost his job. And he's cheerful. Wait a minute. He's got issues. He's not healthy himself. He's going for all these medical tests, but yet there's something about him. What is that? Well, that's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what that is. People need to see that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. All you show, all, and you show, I'm sorry, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God indwelling them, not on tablets of wood, but on tablets of human hearts. People see what we do. And a living example for the Lord Jesus Christ, a living epistle is an example of what the Lord Jesus Christ does in your life. It's a living example that's coming through. It's proof that God's word makes a difference in your life. We all, all of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior know what God's word has done in our life. We know how it's changed us. We know how it's shaped us. We know the desires it gives us. We know how it corrects us. We know that Bible passage that comes to mind in difficult times. We know that Bible passage that comes to mind where we might be falling under the temptation to sin. God's work has an effect on our lives. It changes us. And we know one thing, that that change is not only a temporary change, because anybody can change for a short period of time or change things for a short period of time. When you truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that change is going to last an eternity because you'll spend an eternity with God. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, one of the qualifications for an elder. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. He must be blameless. And these are requirements not only for elders and deacons, but for every single believer. 1 Timothy 3, verse 7. Moreover, he must be thought of, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he does not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Satan would love nothing more than to destroy your testimony before mankind, before your family, before your wife, before your children, before your co-workers. He would love nothing more than to destroy your testimony. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. A good example has, an, has a um, good reputation among the people. They look at him and they, he has a good reputation. Also, when we proclaim and study God's words, we're the first ones to enjoy the blessings, aren't we? The fruits of the Spirit, peace in our heart, fellowship with God, contentment, very important proper thinking, very important godly relationships, when you're walking in the Spirit and you're, and, 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 you're, and, and you're fulfilling God's purpose in your life, your relationships are better, aren't they? You get along better with your wife. You get along better with your kids. 
and do a better job at work. All these things take place in your heart when you're walking in the Spirit and you're living according to God's grace and not your own. Now back in 2 Timothy, we're going to wrap it up in verse number 7. He brings us full circle now. He brings Timothy full circle. He says this, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think over what I say. Consider it. Meditate on it. Take those three examples. Grasp them. Apply them to your life. And then he says, the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is the application that he was referring to in chapter 2 and verse 1 to rely upon God's strength through his grace and ministry. Now again, we look at all of these things that were considered to be characteristics of an effective minister of the word, and we look at them and we say to ourselves, these things are very, very difficult. In my own strength, I can never do any of these things. I just can't do them. Just, it's, it's, it's an overwhelming task. But here's how we do it. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 in, in, in verses 1 and 2. This is the key to getting to, to an effective ministry. Therefore, he had just gone through the writer of Hebrews, the great hall of faith. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, again, let, referring it back to an athletic, athletic competition, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do it? Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Lord Jesus Christ endured hardship, the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ was committed to the will of God the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ was disciplined to win the crown, the joy that was set before him. That was you and I. The Lord Jesus Christ was a hard worker to perfect the faith. It says a lot of times in the scriptures that he was tired in his humanity. And he was an example of obedient, faithful service. He lived a sinless life because I can't. Because I can't. We're all sinners. He's the example that we follow. When we see who Jesus is and we look at our own lives and who we are, we see the vast difference, a vast difference, a difference that's totally incomprehensible because we're all sinners saved by grace and he was the perfect one. And when we see him, and we look at him, and we look at all he's done for us, that's what will equip us for our ministry. We see the need for his grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in each and every one of our lives. Father, these things we cannot do under our own power or under our own strength, so we rely upon you. Help us, Father, to be strengthened each day by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.